Uh, my name is Chris Colquitt. I'm the RUF campus minister at Northwestern. And RUF, for those of you who don't know what it is, is Reform University Fellowship. Uh, this church and this denomination, rather than uh, hiring somebody to sit here in Winnetka and hope college students come here, uh, sends me and Ian Hammond, uh, who are ordained ministers in this denomination, onto Northwestern's campus to do ministry there. Uh, thank you, because you, by giving to this church, uh, are partners with us in this ministry. The Missions Committee supports RUF, and many of you support us individually, financially, and for that we are grateful. Uh, also, I'm so grateful for your prayers. Uh, we had a great first week of school, both um, for our ministry to undergrads and Ian's ministry to the international graduate students. So, praise God for that, and please uh, please pray for us as we go. Let's um, Let's pray for us this morning as we open... God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Lord, we could not know you if you did not do that. God, we thank you that that revelation is good news. Father, we pray now that you would help us as we attend to this passage, to these words of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would be with me and all of us, that we might know and treasure Christ as our Savior through this good news proclaimed to us this day. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning is potentially tricky to understand exactly how it applies to us. This passage might be preached as instructions for ministry always and forever. It might apply to us exactly. We need to go out and do exactly what the disciples did but there are unique aspects to Jesus' instruction here that make the application to us a little less straightforward. First and foremost, this is teaching to the 12 apostles. And here and elsewhere, the apostles are given certain authority and power that we are not always. But more importantly, this occurs before the cross, before the resurrection, before the ascension and Pentecost. And so what we have here is part of the still unfolding story of the new covenant, Jesus knows what's going to happen, but his disciples do not. And we see this in a couple of ways. Jesus instructs his disciples to go only to the Jews and not to the Gentiles and Samaritans. But as the, as the story unfolds, that will be the exact opposite. They will go to the Jews, but then also to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And the message that, that Jesus instructs them to announce is not the full message of the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is the message of the gospel. But he doesn't say, hey, go out and tell them that Jesus died for your sins and they should put your faith in him. Because he hadn't yet died for their sins. And so we find ourselves uh, in the middle of a story, in the middle of an unfolding narrative. Moreover, the tactics that Jesus instructs the disciples to uh, engage in, specifically relating to not taking stuff and to relying on uh, people as they go, there, there are corollaries in the rest of the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and in the ministry that we do today, but it's not exactly the same. So what do we do with this passage? Well, Rather than teaching on ministry or evangelism in particular, I want to think together this morning about what we learn about the gospel more broadly and about the Christian life that flows out of it. And in particular, this is the question I want to think about. What does it look like to be associated with Jesus? What does association with Jesus entail? And the question that is put to you and to me this morning by this text is simply this. Are you willing to be associated with Christ? Are you willing to be associated with Jesus? Association comes with great benefits, but also with some cost. 
We live down in Evanston, and recently our neighbors hosted a fundraiser in their backyard, and this was publicized somehow, and so the opposing side got wind of it and held a protest. So we had protesters in our front yard uh, protesting our neighbors across the street. The police came. It was quite a scene. Now, I don't actually agree with my neighbor's view on this particular issue, but I was somewhat impressed by the fact that they were willing to host a public fundraiser and be associated with this issue. And and in Evanston, that issue is not particularly controversial. But I wondered, right, would I be willing to host a fundraiser for the opposite side of the issue, for my neighbors to know my views on this or that? Association comes with this calculus. And, And maybe you have been asked to host a fundraiser at your home or attend one or to give money to a candidate or a cause. And if you give money to a federal candidate... I can Google your name and find out who you supported. And so that's part of our calculus, right? Am I willing to be associated with this thing? There comes some cost. We have similar things in social settings and in career settings. To be associated with certain people can be really good for us, but it can also bring cost. And the question that these two groups in this text are facing is whether or not they're willing to associate with Jesus. Here are the two groups. First, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he's telling them, He's calling them to go out as his representatives into the world, bearing his message and bearing his name and being variously accepted or rejected on the basis of that. But second, we also have the Jewish households to whom they are going, who will either receive or reject the disciples in their message and their proclamation. They will have to decide whether or not they are going to be associated with this man who claims to be God and the Messiah. Both groups are faced with this question. And so as as we consider this text, I want to consider it from both of their perspectives. First, the Jewish households, who show us a picture of what it looks like to receive salvation itself. And then second, from the disciples, who give us a picture of what it looks like to live out that salvation in this world. And so our two points this morning, receiving Jesus and representing Jesus. First, receiving Jesus. We'll um, we'll orient ourselves in this passage and within Matthew Uh, If you've been with us, uh, we recently picked Matthew back up from last year. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. He has performed miracles, and he has called a group of disciples. And at the end of chapter 9, we hear that he has been going through the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease and affliction. And it says in verse 36 of chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So this is now what he is doing. He is sending the disciples out. And what we have recorded in this chapter 10 of Matthew is his commissioning speech to the disciples. And here's what he says to do. He says, go to the, go to the people of Israel and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And perform miracles along the way. And then Jesus gives very particular instructions about how they're to take care of themselves as they go. He says, don't take anything with you. Don't take your own provisions. You will be provided for by the people to whom you announce the message. If they receive the message and receive you, you will have food and shelter. And if they don't, you're to shake off the dust off your sandal and leave. As I mentioned earlier, this model of ministry is unique in certain ways. This is not how Marshall does ministry exactly in the church. But in it, 
there is a living parable of the nature of the gospel itself. Even if the cross hasn't happened yet, Jesus knows it's going to. He knows what the fullness of the gospel is. And in the way he instructs his disciples to go out, he is giving us and them a picture of how this good news will be received and applied to them. So we see here both a picture of faith and of grace. And I want to take those in turn real quick. First, there's a picture of faith. Look at the transaction that's going to take place when a disciple shows up in a town at a house. He's instructed to proclaim good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he will be received or not. And if he is received, Jesus says, he is to speak a blessing of peace onto that household. To give them their peace. Now that sounds kind of odd. We just did that to one another. The greeting of peace for the Jewish people was shalom. And that was in one sense standard, but in also in another sense it was deeply significant because shalom means salvation itself. It is to wish salvation upon another person. But here the disciples are given even more than a wish. They're given authority. And so the net takeaway of what's going to happen is they're going to proclaim the good news and if they are received, Jesus instructs them to proclaim salvation itself on that household to speak salvation into it. The disciples are ambassadors of the Messiah King, and the message they give is the Messiah's message. And the test of whether or not that house receives it is whether or not they will welcome and receive the disciples. Would the household be willing to be associated with Jesus? They receive, if they will, salvation itself. And in this we see a picture of the gospel previewed here in the lives of the disciples. Faith is the instrument of our salvation. How do we receive the gospel? We receive it by doing simply that, receiving it. The best definition of faith, you'll hear we are saved through faith, is an empty hand that receives Christ. It's that simple. The good news comes to you and to me, and the question at hand is, will you receive it? Will you accept it? If you do, salvation is spoken to you. This is the gospel. It's that simple. The houses to which these disciples are coming are not unlike our homes. They were harassed and helpless, Jesus says. They weren't just sitting on the front porch waiting for some disciple to come by and announce the good news. They were living life. They had hopes and dreams, longings and anxieties. And into that world, the disciples came and spoke peace, spoke salvation. And if they were received... That salvation was theirs. The good news comes to you, brothers and sisters, this morning in the gospel, and it's that simple. Will you receive it? Will you welcome it? Will you receive this good news that Jesus offers to us? If so, he speaks his word of salvation. Secondly, though, we see a picture of grace. If faith is the instrument of our salvation, if we are saved through faith, we are saved by grace. The blessing that these households were to receive is not, and the blessing that we are to receive through faith is not a reward for faith. It is Christ's reward given to us. And this is an important point that we can easily miss as Christians. You don't get into heaven by winning a contest to see who will believe in Jesus. You get into heaven by receiving Christ's reward on your behalf. He has played 
the battle. He has won the contest, and he gives us his righteousness. And we see a picture of that at the end of our passage. Jesus circles back at the very end to this question of whether or not the disciples will be received. And look what he says. Whoever receives me, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. When we receive Christ, when we welcome the good news of the gospel, with him comes his reward. He is the righteous one. And the way the gospel works in God's economy is that by receiving Christ, we get all of his blessings and benefits on us. To be associated with Christ is to have the benefit of all that he has. Some of you will surely have hung out with someone uh, of higher status or wealth than you, a VIP in some settings. Uh, Some of you are that VIP, and I'd like to hang out with you. But when you hang out with someone who is more important than you, typically the same doors open for you, the same cool food is offered to you, the same benefits are yours. And that's a picture of what it looks like to associate with Jesus. The very blessing of eternal life and Christ's inheritance is ours, received through faith, applied by grace. But not everyone is willing to associate with Jesus, and this sets the stage for conflict and for the cost of discipleship that Jesus is preparing his disciples to encounter. And this is our second point, representing Jesus. The disciples have already received Christ. They've left their fishing nets to follow him. And now they go out into the world as his representatives, following in the way that he goes. This is a pattern for every Christian life. You receive Christ by faith, and then Christ calls you to walk in his ways, to follow him, to associate with him in this world by being as Christ to the world. And Jesus here is preparing his disciples and us for what that looks like, for the good and the bad. What does it mean to be associated with Jesus? Now, there are two important audiences when it comes to being associated with Jesus. One is God, and the news there is unquestionably good. It is unmitigated good to be associated with Jesus before God. And we saw that, we see that. Christ acknowledges us before the Father, and we get all the benefits of Jesus. But to associate with Jesus before men... For other people is a mixed bag. We have the fellowship of one another in this church, which is beautiful and lovely. But for others, to be associated with Christ is a negative, and it brings bad things upon us. Look at verses 24 and 25 here. This is the heart, I think, of this passage, the principle that guides the rest of it. Jesus says this. He says something similar in his farewell discourse in John. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And here's the principle that Jesus wants us to see. If we associate with Christ, we get the benefits that he has, but we also receive his opposition. The good news of the gospel is that we will be treated by God just as Christ is treated. 
It's marvelous news. But the somber reality of discipleship in this world is that at times we will be treated by men, by one another, just as Christ was treated himself. And so Jesus tells his disciples and us what to expect as they go out as his representatives. He says, you're going to have to shake off the dust from your sandals now and then. There will be nights these disciples will not have a roof over their head or a meal to eat. They will be arrested and beaten and dragged before authorities. Their own family members will turn against them. They'll be maligned and might even lose their life. Jesus says, this is what it means to be associated with me in this world. And we, we, we want to pause here for a second and ask why. Why does this happen? Why, why is there hazard in following Jesus Well, it comes down, I think, to the nature of the problem and the nature of who Jesus is. The world is broken and messy and full of injustice and evil and pain and sorrow, and everyone basically experiences this. And so we wonder why, when Jesus comes with salvation, isn't everyone not just super excited? Two reasons. One, the reason this world is the way it is according to the Bible, is that we are living in rebellion against God. And who Jesus is, is God himself who took on flesh to come to us with words of forgiveness and restoration that we might once again be made right with this God against whom we have rebelled. And for all of the experience of brokenness in this world that our neighbors feel, it is a tough pill to swallow that we are rebels against the most high God, that we have guilt that needs to be dealt with. And so this good news that Jesus offers is not always accepted. It brings division, as Jesus says. And we want to stop here and say, this is sad. This is grievous. It's sad for those we love in our neighborhood, in our families themselves, who will not receive this good news of the Messiah. But it's also sad, and we should own this too, for our aspirations in this life. I think we need to hear a challenge here. As Christians, those of you who are Christians in this room, are you willing to lay down your best life now in some way so that you might take it up in eternity? Are you willing to face the opposition and detriment of Christ's association that you might know the benefits? I think this is especially important for us to hear in this time and place. We are, I am, extremely good at hedging my bets. I live a life that if Jesus is not real, if the gospel is not true, still makes pretty good sense to everybody else. And I try desperately to do that in my sin, to do both, to have a life that makes sense to Jesus, but also makes sense in case it's not true. And we have such resources in this day and age that we can often do that. But the challenge here, it will face us, it will come, even with our resources, we will be faced with the cost of following Jesus. We need to be faced with the cost of following Jesus, and we will have to decide whether our treasure is here and now, or whether it is the world to come, whether we will take up our cross and trust the one 
who has the power to destroy and to save body and soul, or if we will bow the knee to those who only have power over our bodies. Whether we will care about our reputation before men or our reputation before God. These are the questions that confront us in the Christian life with our association with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, they are hard questions. And yet Jesus encourages us as he encourages the disciples. Because in the midst of a passage that honestly is kind of bad news, it seems like, Jesus speaks tenderly to his disciples and he speaks tenderly to you and to me. And this is where I want to close this morning. In the midst of all this bad news about division and trials, Jesus in verse 19 says, don't be anxious. And then in verse 26 and 28, he says, don't be afraid. And the word of Jesus to you and to me this morning is simply that, do not be anxious or afraid. This world is hard, and to be associated with me will get you into some scrapes from time to time. Don't be anxious and don't be afraid. Two reasons he draws out for that. First, because God cares for you. The disciples are told they will be brought before governors and authorities. These are fishermen who are going to be brought before the most powerful men in Israel. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. I am with you and the Spirit will speak through you. He will give you words to say. And here we see a principle that applies very much to us. If God calls us to be his representatives in this world, to bear his name, to bear his association, and at times to bear the the trials of that, he does not leave us alone in that. His Spirit is with us. He is with you and he will give you the strength and the courage and even the words that are needed in the times of trial. Moreover, he tells us in verses 30 and 31 that we are precious to God. Do not be afraid, brothers and sisters. The hairs on your head are numbered. You are more precious than many doves or sparrows. God acknowledges you among the Trinity. Christ acknowledges you before the Father. There is a conversation in heaven among the Trinity about you, in which you are known down to the number of the hairs on your head. Don't be afraid. There will be trials, but God loves you, and he is with you, and you are precious to him. And then secondly, this passage shows us, and Jesus wants the disciples and us to see, that this is the one true way to life. The way to find life, Jesus says, is by losing it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is counterintuitive for us as we chase after a good life. But Jesus came into this world, and the very best life you can live in this world is a life that Jesus lived in this place. Laying down your life and your interests for the sake of God and for the sake of your neighbor. If you want to be happy, if you want to take hold of that which is life indeed, Stop thinking about yourself so much. Lay down your interests for your neighbor, for your spouse. Go out and think about other things. Follow in the steps of Jesus. This is actually the way to be happy in this world. No, it will hurt. It is the best life that you can live. And until that day when it hurts for the final time, you can live this life following Jesus, knowing that your future is secure. 
it's fascinating if you, I don't know if you noticed this reading, when Ben was reading this passage, but Jesus talks a lot about judgment in this passage. Often negatively with respect to those who reject the gospel, but also positively. I think he does that because he wants the disciples to know that this is not all that there is. That their future is secure. The one who endures to the end, verse 22, will be saved. What is hidden will be revealed. We live our lives in this world with many things hidden. And yet that which is hidden will be revealed. Our lives themselves are hidden with Christ. But they will be revealed. And with him we will have eternal joy forever and ever And Jesus wants the disciples, he wants us to know as they go out and face the pain of this world that that is real. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. And so we are left with this question this morning. Will you associate with Jesus? Will you be associated with him? Will you receive him? If you will, his reward is yours. To receive Christ, the righteous one, is to receive the righteous one's reward, salvation itself. And if you haven't received him this morning, this is the way. It sounds simple, but it's true. You've lived in rebellion against the king, but the king has come, and he has come with forgiveness and mercy and offers to restore you to relationship with him. Receive him. He will speak salvation over you. And after having received him, and if you are a Christian this morning and have received him, this is for you. Follow him. Live as his representative in this world, boldly walking in the path of Jesus. It will not always be easy, brothers and sisters, but it is the very best life that you can live in this time and space. And as you go, know that God is with you, that he cares for you, that he speaks about you and knows the number of the hairs on your head and that he has secured for you eternal glory forever. And that which is hidden will be revealed. And so go out and die today knowing that Christ has secured all for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is good. Father, we thank you for the good news that you bring to us through the mouths of your messengers. We thank you that it is not a list of demands, but that it is good news that must simply be received and that with that reception, we get the rewards of Jesus himself. God, would you join our hearts to you by faith that we might receive that blessing. Would you strengthen us as we go out into this world to walk in faith, to walk in the pattern of our Savior, secure in your love and care for us, hoping for the joy that is set before us, ministering to this world the beauty of Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen.